0: Um, we'll be in Ephesians chapter two, if you want to turn there, we do have such an amazing God. He is awesome in every way, uh, that he would save us, that he would call us and make us his own children. And, uh, he's given us all a testimony of what he saved us from, uh, how he's transformed our lives. And, um, it's such a useful tool to demonstrate the power of God, the love of God. The the blind man that Jesus healed, he had that one-sentence testimony that no one could speak against. He said, I was blind, but now I see. And before his interaction with Jesus, he was in darkness. He couldn't see anything. He couldn't perceive the things that he was able to see when Jesus brought light and clarity and that power of sight. And after he was thrown out of the synagogue, Jesus came to him. It says he sought him. So he sought that man and... And in, in not just receiving that physical sight, but the acceptance of Christ, the pursuit of Christ, that he would come after him. And uh, he's like, do you believe in the Son of God? He's like, "Who? where is he that I may believe on him? And he says, you're, you're speaking to him and you see him. And he says, I believe. And he followed Jesus. Um, in sharing our testimony, it's important that we don't place emphasis on just the things we used to do, but really talk about who we were and where we were headed because that's what God saved us from. And he saved us for heaven. It's not just sometimes we might look back on our old life and say, I used to do this and I used to think this way, but now I've changed. Like I've become so much better as if we're something now, but really it's what Jesus, who he has saved us to be, um, so good to focus on the grace and the power and the salvation of God, the forgiveness that he's given us rather than our improvement. Because that's not why he saved us. He didn't save us because we're on the road to perfection. He saved us out of his grace because he loves us, because he would have us uh, in our sinful state to make us new. We were slaves to fear. We are slaves to sin, but we've been made free. We were lost. Now we've been found. We were dead, and now we've been raised to life. That is dynamic, what God does. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for saving us, for being uh, our redeemer and our deliverer, for coming to us in our time of need when we had no knowledge of you, when we had no power to save ourselves. Jesus came, and he died for our sins, and he's given us a new life. And, Lord, uh, may we rejoice in that life and not be slaves to fear, not be slaves to this world and the things of it, being captivated by things that are perishing, but that we would walk in light of your liberty, your grace, and your love. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here today. I thank you for the word that we get to proclaim. And I pray, Lord, it would search our hearts and minister in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it tough to compare being dead in sins to being alive? in Christ. There's really not much of a comparison. It's it, it's so radically different. There's not like, oh, well, it's kind of like this, but now it's the difference of the metamorphosis, a complete metamorphosis of a larva to a butterfly or a moth. Like really, what's similar about the two? Everything is so different that if you hadn't seen it go into the chrysalis, you may not believe it's the same bug at all. Like those things have no relation to each other whatsoever. But because you saw that that intermediate form of being in the chrysalis, then you realize, wow, there's been this complete transformation that's occurred. And really, this is true when we come to Christ. We're not just improved versions of ourselves. We are a totally different person because the spirit of the living God dwells within you. And that is miraculous. It's amazing. And unless God gave us in the Bible the true description of our natural state, we wouldn't have believed We were that bad, or we were headed to such a destruction as eternal hellfire. But he's redeemed us and he saved us. And conversely, all the blessings and the promises of God, we wouldn't have believed those were available to us. Like the almighty God would live inside of me, and he would gift me, and he would call me, and he's given me every blessing in the heavenly places, and he's filled me to overflowing. Like we wouldn't have comprehended that except he told us that. So let's rejoice in what he said and what he's done. And that's something that Paul has done in the book of Ephesians. He's gone through the first chapter and saying to these Christians, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You've been chosen and accepted in the beloved. You have this everlasting inheritance. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's like the down payment has been given for you. And then he began to pray for them, and he said, I pray that believers would have the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and the revelation of Christ, that they would know the hope of his calling, that they would know the riches of the inheritance of the saints, and that they would know his great power working towards them who believe. And then he concludes at the end of the chapter, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is the head of the body. What sort of, is it a pleasant or an unpleasant image? The the picture in your mind of a headless body. It's unpleasant, right? Because if the body doesn't have a head, that means it's dead. Let's just be very blunt about it. It would be an unpleasant thought. But God has shown great power in raising Jesus to life, of joining us all in one through faith in him. And he is now the head of this living body, the church that he's created in himself, that we're a part of. That's glorious, that we can be part of his body. So let's start in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. After laying out the blessings that they have in Christ, he now goes back to who they were before Jesus. He says, this is who you are. This is really who you are before Christ. That we were once spiritually dead. Our bodies were alive, but we were dead. And a dead body cannot think, cannot sin, cannot do anything. Yet we were alive. We were conscious and in our natural state prone to sin, inclined to sin. Really, at our best, we could only sin. Guzik made a really good observation in his commentary. He says, we err if we think that dead in trespasses and sins says everything about man's lost condition... It's an error because the Bible uses many different pictures to describe the state of the unsaved man, saying he is blind, a slave to sin, a lover of darkness, sick, lost, an alien or a stranger, a child of wrath, and under the power of darkness. So dead in sins and all these other things too. We were without hope and we shared in common with everyone else these attributes. We all walked according to the course of the world. We were on a downward trajectory to hell, and there was no hope for us in ourselves. The reality is we don't believe this. We basically think we're decent people, and we can think of people that are worse than us, so we, we can justify ourselves and pre, feel pretty confident that we're, we're decent human beings. But this is our natural state. This is who we are without Jesus Christ. As a Christian, we can look back on the bad things that we've done and feel self-confident because of the sin we avoid now. Our our call is not to be self-confident in the sin we avoid or the good we do. We all have a tendency, don't we, to find identity in the things that we do. Like I know for a lot of men, we find a lot of our identity in our work. And when that begins to dry up and you retire you begin to struggle with, well, who am I really? Am I more than just a working man? Because uh, we do find a lot of identity and camaraderie and the things you accomplish and seeing a job well done. You feel good about it. And it's not until it's stripped away that you begin to realize, I actually had my identity in those things. Maybe it's in relationships, your children, where your your identity is has been bound up in raising children. And then when they begin to grow and and become more independent and move out, you begin to wonder, well, who am I really? I'm not the mom. I'm not the dad that I used to be to these kids. So where do I fit in? What's my role? Who am I? There's non-Christians who assume if there's a heaven, they're bound to go there because they're decent people. And there's Christians that think they're going to heaven because the, or their, their hope of salvation rests in their ability or their an avoidance of sin. Like, I don't do those things, so I'm good. But there should be a difference when we come to Christ. Just like there's a difference between a dog and a goat and a pig, they have totally different natures, right? They behave different ways. They have different habits. And we are children of God, and that ought to impact deeply the way we think, the choices we make, because the Spirit lives within us. And if we look back and say, oh, I used to be so bad, implying that we're so good, we need a crash course on God's grace. We need a bit of a reminder. So we're going to have that today. We were headed to hell, not because of what we used to do, but because of who we were apart from God. We were sinners dead in sin, lost, hopeless, at our core, disobedient and rebellious, and there's no good in us at all. Paul said, even after coming to Christ, there is in my flesh no good thing. There's nothing that dwells in me that's good. If there's anything good in us, it's because God is in us and he is living his life through us. We were, as this passage says, at our core, disobedient, rebellious, stubborn. Does that touch you guys at all? Can you identify with that at all? We lived to please our selfish appetites, our flesh. We pursued and loved things that God hates. We sought to please our body and our mind. these appetites. And and while some of us were raised in households that were hostile to Christ and to Jesus, we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. Even if we were raised in godly homes, we still were by nature at our core godless sinners. And we used our arbitrary standards to justify ourselves and to condemn others. We're all the same in that regard. Different backgrounds and histories, but this is our nature. Just like people who are the dog whispers, and they know how dogs behave, and when their tails go up and their ears go down, what that means, it sends a message. Well, when you look at a human being, God knows the nature of us. Dead in sins, without God, without hope deserving of hell and eternal destruction because of who we were, sinners. The wages of sin is death, and we all have a lot of back pay to reconcile, don't we? Now, is anyone ever justified by ignorance of this truth or this identity that we are sinners? No. Just like you're not justified if you've broken the law, you didn't know the law. Like, you have to report that in your taxes. I don't know. You mean I still have to pay even though I didn't know I had to pay that? Well, yes, you're obligated by law to pay that. And by law, we are um, headed for justice, and justice is death for sin. And we've not only broken God's laws, but we've broken the testimony of our own conscience. We broke our own rules. You guys have your own rules for social contact and what's polite, what's fair and honest. Well, you broke those rules too. And God, he's, he's given us the natural law, the consequences of our actions. He's also placed us in a world where there's government who upholds laws that we understand. And he's also given us his law in the scripture. So he's made, he, and he's given us that conscience. That's that inner witness of morality where we realize, yeah, I feel guilty because I was, I was mean to that person. There's no law that says you cannot be mean to your neighbor. But you said something, and you know that at the heart of it, it was you were angry, and it was spite behind those words, so you feel guilt, and rightly so. It agrees with God's laws. Paul reminds believers of their past, so they would not glory in their current conduct, but that they would see the grace of God, and they would celebrate him and his salvation. God, he just changes the way we think. In our natural state, dead in sins, lost, without hope. But God, isn't that awesome? God intervened now. When we had no chance of salvation, God stepped in because he loves us. In our greatest need, a need that we didn't even know we had, God steps in to save us. We demand fairness, God gives mercy. We were on our way to getting exactly what we deserved when God stepped in to save us. That's where we were headed. Destruction. Now, have you ever seen someone do something stupid and you really have no sympathy or empathy for them? Because they get exactly what they really deserve. Like, you know, the guys that they're making a video and they think it's cool to just jump into a cactus. And the guy's like, ow, it hurts. And you're like, well, yeah, you just jumped into a cactus. Like, you know... It's sharp and spiny and those are going to go into your skin and i really don't feel bad for you hopefully you learned your lesson right or the loudmouth who's who's picking a fight with the bouncer and the bouncer's like the size of three ordinary men and this little guy's pestering him pestering him tries to slap him and he gets laid out and you're like Phew. i mean maybe i'm not as compassionate as i should be but when you're when you're doing stuff like that i don't ha- personally i don't have a lot of empathy for you And I'll say, in my flesh, because you asked for it. And like the person who who will not obey the police officer gets tased. It's like, well, obey the police officer. It's just not that hard. He's he's warning you. He pulls it out and says, drop it. And you're like, no. And he gets you. Okay. Like, what did you expect? He told you exactly what was going to happen. We say things like, that'll teach him, or serves him right. Have those words ever come out of your mouth? And there's a sense of satisfaction when someone gets what's coming to them. Like you're watching a movie, right? And you see that that villain who's so evil. If they don't get killed by the end of the movie, and just think about that for a second. Wow. If they don't die, something's terribly wrong with this movie. They need to die because they're so bad. They've done such a bad thing. They deserve it, right? They deserve punishment. And if they get away and they don't even go to jail, we're feeling like, this is not fair. This isn't right. They deserved it. We don't mind seeing the person who's bragging eat crow, right? Have to eat a piece of humble pie because they were wrong. And now they have to admit it. And there's something in us that's like, yes, they have to own it now. Is it just me? Or is this, does this fit with how we feel sometimes? Revenge plots, they play to our nature that demands a reckoning for a crime. It demands punishment. It demands that person at least understand the pain they've caused. And we naturally feel it's right to get even. It's right for me to get even. We were dead in trespasses. But God, in his great love and mercy, he sent Jesus to be our Savior. We were that villain. We were that guy picking the fight with the bouncer. We were the one that was holding the object that the guy said, drop. And we said, not in your life." We deserved it. But Jesus came. Romans 6, verse 8, it says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God, in his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we didn't deserve saving. But Jesus came while we were sinners and died for us. We were condemned criminals guilty of crimes against God. We deserve the harshest penalties. If angels saw us burning and writhing and screaming in the fires of hell, The angels could say with a clear conscience, serves them right. That's the fact. That's what we deserve. And the angels could look on approvingly and say, that'll teach them. But they won't learn. Because they're sinners who love their sin. But God, God has done something through sending Jesus, who has changed our destiny not just our eternal future, but who we are now by his grace. He's given us his spirit. He's, we have been receivers of his love. We've been saved. We've been raised together with Jesus. We've been made to sit together with God, sitting together with him in the heavenly places. By his grace, we didn't deserve it. But he loves to give that acceptance. And knowing what God has done, it moves us to glorify Him, to praise Him, to thank Him. Like, Lord, that you would have mercy on me. The person that couldn't learn, the person that was so against you, and who did all these things that I could never take back against you, and yet you've saved me. Please turn to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Knowing what God has done for us should change our perspective. Knowing whom he has made us to be. That impacts our choices. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. We've trusted in Christ. We've been raised from being dead in sins to being raised with him. And we're to, it says, seek those things which are above where he is, the things that are enduring, the things that are holy and true and good. Not on things of the earth, the things that will perish, the things that will pass away. And so let me ask you, how many of your thoughts are filled with things that are of the earth, on the earth, things that will perish someday? Science and philosophy, those things are going to pass away. Apologetics, that's going to pass away. Right? Because in the revelation of God's glory and who he is, there he is. There's no debating anymore. Politics, business, thankfully, that will all pass away. The things that we strive to acquire and to maintain in this life, even the, this, these bodies that we can invest a lot of time and effort in, those things are going to pass away. So what are those things above where Christ is? Well, the first chapter, the great mercy, the love of God, the fruit of the spirit—love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness—all these fruits of the spirit that are good and godly and holy. These things that will endure—it's not only to mark our lives now, but will mark us for eternity. Because who has God? Who, who he has made us to be? Self-control is eternally in season. And in Colossians 3, Paul exhorts the believers, he says, put off the sins of the flesh, the lying, the pride in your ethnicity or your status in society. Help your, may your identity be found in Christ alone, in him. And in verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, longsuffering, suffering Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Thankfulness is eternal, right? We're going to be thanking and praising God forever for the things that he's done. And then he moves on, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our identity is now in Christ. That is the overarching and the core of who we are in Christ knowing that we're holy and beloved. Do you realize that you're holy and beloved? God looks upon you like that. Like, ah, those sinners. We are sinners. We, we never cease to sin in this body. However, and, and this body is going to go the way of the earth because of sin. Right? This flesh is going to die. But, Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life. We believe on him. We shall live. We shall not die. The flesh will, but he will give us new bodies, a new life. God loves you not because you stopped your sinful lifestyle, not because you repented or believed in God, but because of God's grace and mercy towards you. That's why he loves you. It's not based upon what you've done or what you don't do. It's because of who he is and who he has called you to be by his grace. Ephesians 2.7, it says, God's raised us up for a purpose that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We we get to be his living trophies that he's purchased by grace, that he'll always have on hand to say, See, This this is a trophy of my love. This is a trophy of my grace. And it says, in the ages to come, the word ages is the root uh, eon, which is an indefinite and very long amount of time. There's ages to come that we've read about. We've read about during the Great Tribulation that will be spared the wrath of God that comes upon the world by his grace and mercy after Christ's return to judge the world. For the millennial reign will be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ because he's coming with his saints And also, in the eternal state, we'll perpetually be with God. And so all these ages, all these spaces of time that we know about, and also in eternity that we don't even comprehend what that looks like, in all ages to come. So it wouldn't be a stretch to say, in every age that's to come, we will be those trophies of grace on display. In Jesus, we were undeserving of his mercy, but he had mercy on us. And he's got, he, he has us praising him and thanking him, not because we have to, because it, our hearts have been changed. The longer we live, we better identify with verses 1 to 3, and the more we can rejoice in verses 4 to 7. Do you find that the case? Since we're receivers of God's mercy and love, how important is it for it to be reflected in our lives today that we would be forgiving of others. We would be kind and gracious and compassionate and merciful. And it would be sad for us to receive such blessing from God, such goodness, but be worldly in our focus, be ensnared with the, I guess, the cares of this life, distracted by fleshly pursuits. And living like people who are without life, or, or say, I don't have a life. Are you in Christ? Oh, you have all the life there is. And as we're going to see, God has things for you to do. Here's a thought. After Lazarus was raised from the dead, you remember, before he's, he's heading back to Jerusalem and he's passing through Bethany and he raises Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead for four days and he was a bit foul, Do you think he bothered to bathe after he had been raised from the dead? After that cave was opened and the stench of death just, oof. It did stink because he was dead. He was actually dead. God raised him to life. That was only a few years ago when I thought of that and said, oh, yeah, it actually was stinky. I guess in my picture books growing up, there was no description of how bad it must have smelled. But it smelled bad. Like they rolled that stone away and they go, see, we told you. Whoa, that's terrible. But Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He comes forth. Wow, he's alive. Unbelievable. He was dead, but he's alive now. Take those stinky grave clothes off of him and let him go. And as he continued to live, yes, he washed. And so we, we're the ones who've been raised from the dead. So should, should the old life that, that was foul and leading to death, should that still mark our life? Should we allow that to cling to us? Or should we wash ourselves in the water of the word? Should we set our minds on things above and not on the things of the earth? Those cares that weigh us down and distract us, let's put those aside and set our mind on where Jesus is, on who he is and where he is. Our flesh says we're not really that bad. But having our spiritual eyes open to see. We realize that in our flesh, no good thing dwells, that we need to intentionally put off sin, repent, do what pleases God. And you know, God, we can't do this except God help us. And God won't do this in us unless we cooperate with Him. He is not going to sanctify us um, if we're fighting Him. Now, we are sanctified and we are being sanctified. And that's that process a lot of times we can regress in our spiritual walk because, like the prodigal, we decide to go our own way. Praise the Lord, he's faithful in us and will accomplish that work, even, even despite our stubbornness and the pride that he's getting out of us. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you notice that it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith? In this passage, it it emphasizes that it's something that's already occurred. It's already secure. We have been saved through faith in Jesus. It's already complete. Grace is favor from God we have not earned and deserved. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. I've never heard of prospective parents who want to adopt a child going to a morgue to find a suitable one. Has that ever happened? No. But that's exactly what God did for us. We were dead in sins, and he came to us. All hope was gone, and he's come to redeem us. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now I've heard of people, they have this romantic notion of uh, you know, getting a stray dog or going to a rescue dog and bringing it home and, well, unbeknownst to them, having a, a puppy or an animal is a lot of work and it just creates such chaos in the home that they end up returning the animal. Have You ever heard of those stories? Yeah, it happens. They didn't really know what they were getting into. They had this concept of what it was going to be like to bring this animal home, and, oh, we're helping this dog, and then it's like, whoa, just tearing everything apart. We don't know what to do. Just get it off our hands. You know, God's not like that. He knew exactly what he was getting when he chose to redeem and forgive you. And we're, we're much more chaotic than any animal that you could possibly have in your home. And he's not getting rid of you. He's not returning you. He's not on the edge like, you know what, if you keep messing up if you keep chewing on the furniture, that's it. You're, I'm taking you back, back to the morgue with you. No, he, he wants us, he loves us, he's gracious to us. When we're total hellraisers. He he has a heart to redeem us and to make us his own, not just to be nice to us so he can feel good about himself. No, it's because he is gracious, he is good, and he loves you. Do you realize that God loves you like that, so sacrificially? He won't ever tell us, "Get lost, you're not measuring up to my expectations." I didn't sign up for this. No, he bled for this. So he could have us and we could have him. We're saved by grace. It's something that cannot be earned. Something not you can't buy it. It's only received. It's a gift we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. No one can rightly boast of their salvation that they're saved because of their faith. They're saved because of their knowledge or their sacrifice, even your faith to believe in God is a gift from God. Because the Bible says in Romans 12, 3, he's given to all a measure of faith. Everyone has a measure of faith, and that's God's gift. So you can't even be proud of your faith. We are to boast in the Lord, make him our boast, and what he's done for us. Because he demonstrated his love in sacrificing himself. Your faith in itself is nothing. It's who or what you place your faith in that matters. It's the thing that you trust able to save you. And only Jesus can. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Not one of us can be proud in the knowledge we've received from God. And any physical ability or knowledge you possess, that is also a gift from God. Have you ever worked on a project and others took credit or received credit for that project? And they were the ones who were paraded around and they received the accolades and the advancements? They were the ones who seemed their careers just went on an upward trajectory after your hard work kind of went towards them? How do you feel when they take credit for what they didn't do anything for? Not good. That's what we do when we claim that it's our faith or our obedience, or our sacrifice that makes us worthy of saving. It doesn't, because we receive it by grace. Our calling, our role in the body of Christ, the blessings, they're not payback from God for our loyalty. You know, when you're with an insurance company or something, you go, oh, because you've been a loyal customer for so long, we'll give you a discount, and we'll give you this benefit. We're like, all right, you've been with us for so long, you've flown so many miles, you can go into the, um, what's it called? Or you go into the airport and you go in the lounge. like You have lounge access now for five years because of your loyalty. And you walk in there, you're like, I belong here now. This is cool. Wow. That's not how it operates with God. It's all by grace. We didn't deserve to be in there. We're the outsiders that he said, you're my my child now. You get to come to work with me. And you get to see me work. Our greatest sacrifice before God is like the little boy who goes to the school fete with money that his mother gave him or that he took out of her purse, and he buys her a little something to put on the fridge. That's it. That's like your greatest sacrifice before God, because all that kid had to give, he received from his mother. And he didn't even have her permission. But you know what? She's, She's ecstatic that he would choose to spend his money on her. So she'll receive that little fridge magnet that she doesn't need, and she'll put it there. And it'll be there for years because she loves her son. And God loves us. Let's not be proud and think that, I mean, how silly for that boy, and we were that little boy, who was very proud of himself, imagining he deserved rewards for getting that gift, that or to use it as a bribe to do the thing that she forbade him to do. He was going to use that for his benefit. Ah, I I just see my own heart and the wretchedness of it. It's the natural man, and we can all fall in these traps. Receiving the gift of salvation is by faith alone. It's the only way to salvation. Jesus says, there will be people who say to him, and I love that. He says, who will say to me, Lord, Lord, And he'll say, I never knew you, you who work lawlessness. You were never mine. You called me by name. You gave. You attended. You prayed. You you evangelized, but you didn't know me, and I don't know you. Because you're never mine. You were never changed. You never trusted me. If we And no one's saved because they prayed or were persecuted for their beliefs. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. He's the one who saves us. If we will be saved, it must be on God's terms. He is our Savior, and he's made a way of salvation. So the gift of God, it cannot be bought through tears or fasting or prayers or sacrifice. It's only received as a sinner by the grace of God. Hallelujah, because we identify with that, right? Sinners. That's, that's the qualification for salvation, our sin. And having repented, we receive that gift. He offers us freely by grace. It's not by works we're saved, but Ephesians 10, 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by our good works, but we're created in Jesus for good works. There's things that God has prepared for us to do. So even when you retire from your career, you still have good works that God has prepared for you to enter into. Just like a potter forms a clay pot for a functional purpose, Even if it's his own, like, you know what, I'm going to try something different I've never done before. And he'll just make something totally unique and random. And people are like, wow, that's really clever. Like, what does it do? Well, it's just, I could use it for a lot of things. And see that God, God, we are his workmanship. His hands have been all over us to form us into who we are. These guitars that are used for leading worship, can they of themselves play a single chord? The most they can do, and I'm not going to do it, um, it would be to knock the guitar over, and it would go, Aah. it would not make a, a tune, right? The guitar cannot boast that it plays lovely music. It's only in the hands of the musician that it can accomplish anything, that it actually has strings, and that they're tuned, and that they're strum in time. And it's the same thing with us and the Lord. In his hands, we can, he can do all things he wants through us. Isaiah 10:15. there's a series of questions asked along the line. It says, should the axe boast itself against the hands which swing it? It's like, I'm so sharp. I'm so ready. <laughs> well, how many trees is that axe going to chop down that's in the shed by itself? None. It's just going to get old and dusty and rusty and pretty much good for nothing. But by his grace, God has saved us. The good works that we do, it's not of the goodness of our hearts, but these are the works that God's prepared beforehand for us to enter into. So where is the place of boasting or pride or self-confidence when it's God who is the one who wields us, when he is the one who fills us, when he enables us to do the first thing in just repenting and trusting him? Why compare ourselves with ourselves? We can feel very uh, inadequate, not because of the greatness of the task, but because there's people that seem to be better at that thing than us. So you say, oh, I'm totally unqualified for that. Well, it's qualification. You've been ordained by God, and you've been called by him, and he has good works for you to do that he's already prepared for you to enter into. Do you know what those works are? Do you know what they look like? We won't know them all. And some of them are going to shock you. Some of them are going to, you will be insufficient. And this is good because it causes us to rely upon God in faith. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians 2, verse 12. In this passage, Paul exhorted Christians. He says, don't be proud, but exhibit the humility we see in Jesus, that he became flesh, though God. And he submitted to death on the cross, and Jesus, who humbled himself more than any, God is exalted above all, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord. He follows on in Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We've been called by God. We've been adopted by God, saved by his grace. We're to seek him, to set our minds on things above where he is, and to obey him. And then he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Knowing that it's God who works in you both to will, that's to desire to do something, and to actually accomplish to will and to do. So the desire to do it and the ability to accomplish it is all by the grace of God. We can't take credit for our faith. Um, if it's good, it's evidence of God in me. And so praise God for that. He's the one to be praised. I think we all have a pretty decent idea of what it means to work out as far as exercise. For young people, it may mean lifting weights, you know, heavy weights, uh, uh let's say, circuit training, some intense aerobic activity. For others, it could be riding a bike or swimming in a pool. For some of us, it's just walking. You know, for me, that's a great exercise. Walking, that ticks the boxes for now. Um, we all have ways we can work out. It may not all be the same way. What's a workout for one person isn't necessarily working out for another person. Like, come on, is, is this trying at all? If you've been born again, you can work out or exercise your salvation. It's a gift that God's given you, and you can work out with it. You get to put it into use. So salvation isn't something just to be drawn upon when these bodies fail us, but something to be tapped into now that can be used for the glory of God. Because the presence of God and the life of Jesus is now being lived out in you. Our salvation is a reality now by God's grace. So where's fear if you're saved and it's already accomplished and it's completed? If God is saved and empowered us by his grace, where does the fear and trembling come? How does that work? Because when these good works are placed before us with our limited vision and uncertainty, It will require reliance upon God to accomplish. Paul said, hey, when I was with you, I did not speak swelling words of wisdom, but was with you in fear and trembling as I proclaimed the gospel to you. Paul was confident in the gospel. He was confident in God. But he did so with fear and trembling because he was working out his own salvation, putting it to the test. Because he was saved, he was entering into that good work, just by faith in God. Because it was something he could not accomplish. Have you ever tried to change someone's mind? Have you ever tried to change someone's heart? Futile. How, how can you do it? And he went to that person. He went in love to these people who were opposed to God and who hated Jesus. And he said, Lord, unless you do something, nothing good's going to happen here. But he was faithful because God worked in him both to will and do for his good pleasure. And God worked through him. And you see, all of Asia heard the gospel through Paul and others that were faithful. We imagine, this is, this again, the flesh. We imagine that we have some natural talents and abilities that we've honed through training over the years that God can leverage in some way for his glory. And he can. He can. But he's not limited by that. And we can say, oh, well, I've got this area of expertise where, where I'm comfortable Or I understand how things work, and I can can do something. And God's like, hmm, you can't do anything. But if it's me through you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Do you suppose the butterfly or the moth goes back to chomping leaves like before the chrysalis? No. Because the diet of a fully grown moth or butterfly is totally different than that of a caterpillar because the mouth parts and the stomach and everything is totally different. Complete change. And so we can't just think, well, I'm just going to fall back to what I know. That's what Peter did, right? Jesus has risen from the dead and I go fishing. He didn't really believe Jesus had risen from the dead, but then Jesus met him. Said, Peter, from now on, you're going to fish for men. Something he can't do, right? But God did it through him. 3,000 in one day heard the message of the gospel and they came to Christ because God was at work in him. And see, God's at work in you. And we need to trust and obey that that's the case. And that, you know, I am saved by the grace of God. I've received that. And I want to walk in the fullness of what that means and these good works God's prepared for me. I can't do anything. But Lord, help me to be usable and obedient to your guidance. Help me to be humble and realize that it's not my humility that will cause things to be accomplished, but it's your grace and you alone, because you're good. Anyone here afraid of heights? Mm, There's a few. Now, back to the chrysalis picture. You've been given a, a pair of wings, but you're afraid of heights. Do you fly or do you stay on the ground? Mm. The one thing you feared. God's like, but I've given, I'm not, my good work for you is not to remain on the leaves where you're real familiar with, where you just consume leaf after leaf after leaf. I have made you to soar, to take flight. Trust me that the wings I've given you are for your good and they will accomplish i will accomplish in you my good plans for you so when that fear kicks in know that you're you're now moving into holy ground that place where you have to rely upon god for for anything to be accomplished and that is a great place to be because that's the only way you can be saved and that's the only way you can be fruitful by the grace of god as we receive communion we do so in faith and obedience to jesus He commanded his disciples, he said, remember me until I come, proclaim my death until I return. And that death of Christ, it's a prime example of his love. He's demonstrated his love by dying in our place. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we take of the broken bread, which signifies his body, the juice, which was the blood shed to atone for our sins. And none of us have earned the right to partake of Christ or even to participate in this act of communion. But we do so in faith, believing that God has called us to this. Matthew 26, starting in verse 26, it says, as, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed For the remission of sins. Jesus has established that new covenant in his blood. And we enter into it uh, with promises far greater than that of the law of Moses. We have been freed from the curse of the law. And we have been given every blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So let's remember who we were before Christ. But consider what Jesus accomplished and what he has done. By coming to us when we were dead in sins, by redeeming us by his grace and saving us, not just to be trophies or relics, but to be usable in his hands. That we could be an instrument of his salvation to other people. That they could know the riches of his grace. That we could could encourage Christians to pursue Christ and also those who don't yet know Christ to be introduced and to follow him so that they may be saved. If I could have the worship team come up, that would be wonderful, and we'll pray. And then as they are singing the song, I invite all who are born again to come up and take of the bread and the cup, and then I'll lead in a prayer together. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving us your love for extending such grace and the gift of salvation to us all. While we were yet sinners, and while we were without hope in the world, and while we were headed to destruction, you have saved us. You have washed us, and you have given us hope that does not fail. A future that's secure. Lord, forgive me when I forget. Forgive me when I'm afraid, and when I I look to my own abilities and, and I see that they're it's they're feeble and and incapable and and then i'm disobedient and rebellious before you lord i confess that i need to be washed in the blood of jesus i need to be cleansed Uh, and i thank you that that cleansing is available to all that you have forgiven us in christ for the sins we've committed and for even the sins of our future that you have redeemed us for your purposes and lord i pray that all of us uh, you've given us wings. I pray we would soar. We wouldn't be afraid. We wouldn't be living in that, that old life that was heading toward destruction, but we would choose to put off the old man. We'd be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and we'd put on the new man, that our, our hearts and our minds would be fixed on things above, not on things of the earth, and that your love and compassion and grace would be so evident in us. Uh, may, may your love truly guide and govern our hearts and decisions, that we love you above all, and you have no rivals. Thank you, Lord, for your power. Thank you for your salvation, and thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, that we can be born again and made new and given a new life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.